1: Josh Brown, I'm glad you're here. Oh, thanks. I just had to tap into the subconscious, say the first thing that came to mind. I'm glad he's sitting here. I'm
2: really disarmed
1: by that. That's that's (laughs)
2: bloody lovely. I'm
1: glad you're here. I'm
2: really looking forward to today. It's a nice
1: time to do a podcast in person, and me and Josh Brown are always in the office. Jules Gill's sadly away. He's got some electric problems in his house. Man can't guarantee a solid current to the building, so...
2: Yeah, first it's gas problems, now it's electric <laughs> problems. What's it going to be next week, Scott?
1: Is He's writing I a ask. full album at this point: gas problems, electric problems. It's the the first <laughs> single. Um, but yes, this is the Entitled Bander podcast, the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. You might say the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. Yeah. So I'm Scott Tilford. That's Josh Brown for this week, and maybe weeks in the future, we'll see. And um, where we always take on whatever questions, whatever talking points you guys have, people send them over on Twitter, on Instagram, although it was just Twitter for this week. Um, and I thought we'd get through as many as we can. Some brilliant questions this week. I so great. The- Little, ones, man. Lovely little tasty crop. So, yeah, we'll get through as many as we can. First one from the 61st Gunner of 2023 who says Aloha, you be peeps. We all know what features absolutely ruin a video game microtransactions, poor writing, lack of content, over reliance on gimmicks. But what features automatically make a game a must play?
2: Oh, what a question. What a
1: <laughs> question, Scott <laughs> Uh Do you want to take this one first? I or? do. I uh, oh, no. I miss uh, physics and defamation in games. So, I think if you're showing me something that lets me throw a body through a window, Throw, throw a man into a wall like uh, some sort of ragdoll physics thing where I can kick someone in the head and then watch them pirouette over to the side preferably through a table yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm immediately there that's what the dream was for something like Seafield those, those animations are more canned or hand drawn they're not physics-y necessarily um, but I love melee stuff and I love uh, physics defamation in games nice. and I love Max Payne too when they brought that stuff in and you can riddle a dude with and bullets and then they fly against all the parts of the environment oh. all those chairs are broken everyone loves Max Payne
2: too I love yeah any so- Good. Kind of destruction within the level, just oh, I love man, like Max Payne <laughs> three me, funnily enough, mm. when they kind of go even more nuts on that element where you're in firefights and if you're missing a shot, you know, you're know you smashing the windows mm. behind you uh, for as good as... Oh, for as much crap as Call of Duty Vanguard gets. Right. I think one great element that game added to the multiplayer suite mm. was the kind of minute destructibility of the levels. So instead of just kind of like, you know, being able to shoot panes of glass, by the end of a round of Team Deathmatch within that multiplayer, like mm <laughs> bullet holes were riddling the walls like the, the walls themselves were like crashing in there was like debris everywhere mm. it wasn't battlefield levels but it just felt like you had an impact on the level itself I love that when it doesn't feel
1: static. I would I was thinking of you know in uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 when they first started showing it off and there's a bit where Naked Snake is shooting up through some planks of wood he's like under, he's in some water and yeah. there's, like, there's like a pier and he's looking up through the um, like a dock and there's a guard on top of the dock and he shoots up through the wood to shoot the guy I feel like shooting through stuff was a thing for a little while like it you was? said Max Pain 3 had it, mm. and they would tout it in the run-up to the release of the game. Like, oh look, we've like considered the thickness of everything in the world now. But then we sort of just moved away from that. You can still do it a little bit in the Call of Duties, like you said, um, and in Modern Warfare and stuff, but it's not you don't necessarily know what you're safe shooting through. It's just that sometimes you can pepper a dude through a door or something.
2: Yeah, I remember like like you said there, you know, in the era of the original Ghost Recon advanced warfighter, oh, it was a such a big thing that you could shoot through certain um objects within the in the environment, certain environments themselves, certain mm. walls. Fences or whatever, and that was carried over to COD Four, and now it kind of just is a thing that's in games. Uh, But that absolutely ruled. One thing that I like to see in any game, and this is not even necessarily a feature; it's just something I've found recently that I'm obsessed with, and it's weird, right? Because in real life, I'm not a gunsman. I'm not like a huge fan of guns. I've never handled a gun myself. But in the virtual world, Mm -hmm. I love a good hunting rifle in in a in a game, like a bolt action, a bolt single shot action, single shot. (laughs) <laughs> hunting rifle, whether it's Fallout 3 or specifically The Last of Us Part 2, right. there's something I love about controlling a character, particularly in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, mm. in having that bold action Rifle in my hand. There's something about the mm. tension of you only having like one shot at a time. There's something about the tactility of reloading it after every shot and the kind of, you know, like the jerky movement that you get, which is
1: made better in VR, by the yeah, way. I was waiting for you to say VR mode. It, I thought that'd be awesome. Yeah,
2: it's like the weirdest fetish that I have that I <laughs> realized because I just, there's something about it uh, that, that, that I love, like that image of being facing off against zombies and you're having this kind of like rickety old weapon by your side. So any game
1: that does that, I will give a chance. <laughs> I'll tell you what, speaking of clattering weapons, you remember the, um, I think it was the Thompson rifle in Medal of Honor? And yeah. I'm going back a bit, but in yeah. that one, that had the weird like pull, ch- like you pull this whole bit of it back to reload it, but it would clatter loads when you were firing it. I always love weapons that feel like they're barely holding together. It's quite, yeah. a love like steampunk stuff and um, way, I mean, the thing is like that whole bolt action appeal, I do like that to a degree, but if I'm, if there's a whole horde bearing down on me, I can't reload fast. Enough. It's just annoying. I just want something that's gonna sort of go, and I can just take everybody out instead. Yeah. So like, I do love a good, maybe like a minigun, something that's sort of uh, gonna vaporize a lot of the populace.
2: We're the exact opposite, Scott. <laughs> so, and this is very funny because I like the opposite of a minigun. When you I'm do. playing a game, if it's a shooting game, I, I like to use pistols more than I like to use uh machine
1: guns. And a confused face in your direction. Though.
2: There's something I just find very satisfying about it. I think mm. it's because I grew up with like maybe like a lot of spy movies where people were like you know sneaking around areas yeah. with pistols, taking out. Guys like that. It's why I like Max Payne Three so much because mm. in that game I use the pistols and the shotguns all the time. I tell to you make what, it's all about guns. But that's kind of what I want because there's something about. Those weapons, I think, that translates very well. To no, man, video I would, games.
1: I would back that. I think for twin pistols, that gets me back in. It's a, it's the fire rate. It's literally mm. just fire rate. So I tend to go like higher fire rate, the better. There are some. There's like the P90 in like metal. No, metal, solid solidus snake uses it in Metal Gear Solid 2, but you can get P90s in like Call of Duty and stuff. Yeah. And they have such an insanely fast fire rate that most games end up turning down just how much damage they do. But that speed of bullet is what I want. I want right. something to just sort of like just go <laughs> just constantly. I just want to destroy. I also like doing the noise. So it's gonna be. <laughs> that. so I think that's kind of that's a, a fun way to go hey, um, yes.
2: before we move on can I throw in one more just very very quickly yep. one feature that always attracts me to a game where I think you're alright you mm-hmm. is when a game has a limited hood like Dead Space oh, or shout. even the Callisto Protocol for as much as I didn't jive with that game the hoodless display yeah. looked bloody gorgeous
1: D- that compared to uh, in Metroid Prime Remastered it's one of those games like uh, those what was the Star Wars Republic Commando game yeah and it's like the idea of like putting the helmet on screen and when they did that in Halo and everyone was like, for the love of God, take it off. I, was, and it I was, was one of those people. Yeah, and it's like, it's an option to turn that stuff off. And you can in Metroid Prime as well. Playing uh, Prime Remastered without the hood at all is beautiful. Obviously, you get a bit lost because you do need the map and stuff. But yeah, I like the idea of um, games that try and artistically remove the hood. Like Dead Space is like one of the only real examples of translating a health system to just something that's on your character. Yes. I feel like that should just be a mainstay in gaming. How are we still so hood filled? And then, you know, you see so many UIs that are just... Full
2: of stuff. That's it. There's nothing that puts me off modern AAA games more than having like a screen full of UI Mm. prompts, even Mm -hmm. if they are helpful. I don't want to see, you know, my health down one side, a massive map down the other side, an objective marker in the top right, you know, a bunch of challenges that have been tracked in the (laughs) top left, and then a bunch of markers within my field of vision itself. There's Mm -hmm. something about that messiness that like really puts me off. I think I've realized over the past few years that what I love about games Uh, the games that I love are often like minimalist. You know, something like Sifu was so great because coming off Horizon Zero Dawn, which is full of that kind of visual noise Mm. almost, it was just straightforward, it was streamlined, and it was kind of to the point, I think, in my old age, I'm looking for that streamlined um, aesthetic
1: more and more. The ripe old age of the late 20s. <laughs> yeah. He's getting on over there. Um, next question from Alpha Oliver, who says Battlefield, Call of Duty, and Halo are all released simultaneously, and we all remember how well that went. Do you think something similar will happen to Tekken Six, Street Fighter, Sorry, Tekken 8, Street Fighter 6, and the next Mortal Kombat? If it does, what games will F up?
2: Ooh, you know what? You're not going to like this, I don't well, think. I think the for Mortal me... Kombat it might be Mortal Kombat I don't even think it will mm. I think they all are probably going to be quite strong you know I have no reason really to doubt Mortal Kombat because the mm. last few games have been exceptional the last one in particular I absolutely loved mm. but if there's one that might fall short I think it might be that game just because it's, it's had such a weird turnaround you mm. know it was formally announced the other day in an investor call yeah. you know Ed Boone and the team have been like kind of weirdly quiet about it they haven't made injustice between this and the last game it's their kind of the first time They've done a straight sequel without a game in between since like 2011 or something. Yeah, you know, and I just, I just hope that it's not a mandate from WB saying we need one of these. You know what I mean? Don't it do feels anything like else. That. We need
1: one of these. The thing is, like Ed Boon, like he's been quiet about MK12 for the most part, other than like you said, the the earnings call. But he on Twitter is asking people, do you guys want a Shaolin Monk's remake? Do you guys want a remake of um the original trilogy? It's like, oh, it's sad that we didn't get to put this out. And it's like, okay, you must have way less control over what you can do in this space than we think you do as the yeah. creator of one of the the creators of Mortal Kombat, um, and that's just kind of sad. Like, some, like people would love a remake of Shaolin, or just the idea of remake. Just put Shaolin monks on a new console or something. Yeah, um, it's brilliant, and it's like you know, it's the whole thing of like it being um, Mortal Kombat's thirty fifth anniversary. or I think it's coming up to that. I should know exactly when that is, and I don't. But I, I, I think know that it was last year, where it was maybe the thirtieth
2: anniversary last year.
1: Yeah, there was like a logo doing the rounds, and it's just like there was a whole thing about it being this big anniversary, and the, the general idea was they didn't really do much for that, and yeah. so like you know, there's way more things you could do with that, and um, yeah. For me if I'm thinking about reliability of those releases I think of the publishers. Um, Tekken with Namco is a, like, Namco aren't going to mess up Tekken um, or allow that to to go sideways. Street Fighter 6 is already unbelievable. Thankfully I've already played that like last year, me and Jules played it at EGX um, and it's like, that just looks gorgeous. It plays as well as it looks. Yeah, MK is the one where they have already a really naff publisher. Warner Brothers cannot make a straight decision to save their lives. No, Um, They seem to backtrack on everything every other month and so we already had an MK11, all the um, microtransactions Fatality stuff, which you would hope they've learned from. Um, but they also need MK to make a lot more bank if there was yeah. a half a project that was scrapped to get back to MK twelve anyway.
2: This is me playing purely devil's advocate because mm. I don't envision Mortal Kombat twelve completely tanking or no. anything like that. It's just if I was putting them all side by side and looking at which one I think might fall short, it's MK because I think mm. that franchise has might get complacent because the previous entries have done so well that they might just deliver more of the same Mm. and that might be good but it might not be as vibrant as Mortal Kombat 11 felt whereas Tekken and Street Fighter while Tekken 7 was a huge thing it was a long time ago now I think those two franchises in particular have a little bit more to prove and might be trying a little bit harder to deliver something a little bit new
1: in classic Us fashion I think I'm on the opposite side because to me um, Tekken 7 had that massive long tail of season pass DLC all the different characters they added and Namco themselves and Katsuhiro Harada just saying you know we didn't expect it to to be this big to last this long and that we'd be able to do all these um, DLC packs for so long and then in MKs, because I think for Tekken 8 it's just kind of more of that like the gameplay they've put out just looks like more Tekken which is great it looks gorgeous I feel like the thing that people are talking about is how much they're remixing the characters like the new designs for Nina um, and Paul and everything and then MK like the end of MK11 was um, Raiden giving his power to Liu Kang to remake the whole universe which I thought like Almost meta-textually, was Ed Boon saying like we're going to change everything because like back in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, they wanted to completely overhaul everything anyway. And then they went through all that turmoil where the studio shut down, they got um, resurrected by WB, then they rebooted everything in twenty eleven. I feel like they've wanted to do like a whole new cast of characters for a while, right? And um, or a whole new cast of powers and everything. And I feel like that's what maybe what MK twelve was going to be, yeah. Uh, with like Luke Kang as the next Elder God or something, and then try and bring in some legacy characters, but it would have this new feeling. And then because it's like that all the turmoil happened where they needed to bank on this, it can't be that anymore. Mm. So I feel like it'll be this weird hodgepodge where they'll <clears throat> try things in a certain direction and they'll still try and stay true to what they originally planned if yeah. they did. Um, but at the same time, it will I don't know, it'll be the WB side going like, but just make a Mortal Kombat game. Just make yeah. the safe thing. Yeah, 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 just yeah. put Baraka in it. Just put, you know, make it work.
2: I think I think at the very least, they're all going to be very interesting. Mm. I only say what I say about Tekken 7 because while I fully agree that from a gameplay perspective, it does kind of ah. like look like a natural progression, more of the same. Yes. From a technological perspective, it seems so much more than Tekken 7 mm. ever was like from a graphical standpoint at the very least it, oh, yeah, it feels yeah. next gen in a way that Tekken 7 just wasn't and that's kind of what I mean by trying that a little bit harder mm-hmm. like the base will probably be the same but I think if you look at Street Fighter 6 which is doing some like incredible things with its engine you look at Mortal Kombat even 11 which has like one of, some of the best fighting game visuals ever a oh, great yeah. fighting game feel I think from Tekken's perspective while they've got the characters and they've got the gameplay nailed down mm. I think they need it to feel next gen and I think from the very first trailer, we've seen them striving for that with that great, you know, vista of the storm oh God, raging in the background. And even every gameplay trailer we've seen since, like the Jin reveal or the Nina reveal, has looked stunning.
1: Yeah, yeah man, totally. Well, yeah, the, the new Kazuya. Well, it's not that new, but from last week, Kazuya footage where he's fighting in Times Square just looks gorgeous as well. I feel like the mechanics will be solid, and if something goes sideways, it'll be the wider machinations. It'll be the publisher machinations. I like think I said I don't. Namco and Capcom have seemed like they have genuine pride in those IPs in yeah. a way that Warner Brothers does not in Mortal Kombat. So I will see how that stuff goes. Um, next question from Caleb J. Ross, who says, Love you, legendary legends. Have you ever considered writing a book? If you were to write a book about a video game or a video game topic, what would it be?
2: Oh, st- thank what you. What a question. Bird. Thank you. We do not deserve the uh, title <laughs> of Legends, I don't think. but no. I appreciate it nonetheless. Scott Tilburn. Legendarily long-form blabber. I've got long-form some indulgent blabber. answers for this, but yes. I'd like to hear if you have ever thought about this first, mm-hmm. please. Because I feel like you're a man who could absolutely write a book that oh. I would
1: read and love. Thank you. Yeah, I, we had a thing, oh God, so long ago, we had an author write for us this is I'm going back like 6 7 years um, and one of the they uh, of their ideas was to do something on Amazon about like the the 100 games to play before you die which obviously there are tons of them now yeah. so i feel like i would i'd like to do my version of that but that's a more stock thing i think i would do the um the history of the games press like the Ooh. idea of where it came from the uh, the early ideas of um what the ratio was between editorial and um authority and independence versus like the games uh, coverage the journalism side of it just being a wing of marketing yeah. and the approaches from both sides the approaches from the people who just wanted to write and love video games and critique them and maybe help like raise the bar overall by critiquing them in a good faith way um, and the business side of it where it's like we're going to give you access to this game early and we want you to say this, this, this we're going to give you access to this level because it's finished and the rest of the game's on fire and that'll hopefully get more sales and go down that way Um, that's just an assumptive mentality I'm not saying that like ever concretely happened Um, obviously there are NDAs that people sign and stuff but I would love to do that I'd love to do the history of it Um, the sort of um, the different like uh, sizes of press packages that used to happen yeah. where like people would get flown in like the early 2000s, people would get flown to like racetracks for Forza um, or getting everyone got flew out to Miami to see Scarface or like things like that, like really big over the top stuff. Um, that occasionally still happens, more for the streamers and stuff, but also that side of it—the change of like the uh, the magazine press to the online press, the dawn of the internet, the dawn of YouTube, and um, the dawn of like personalities coming to the forefront—and how that literally overhauled everything yeah. in regards to how you even think of someone like an IGN or us, like um, coming to us for the podcast. And I would do that. I would do something like the the history of the. Uh, the authoritative word in gaming coverage. I love that. I would Thank read you. that. Write that book so I can <laughs> read it. I'll pre
2: order it right that. now. I love that. I think like you know like every sort of 20 uh, something uh, man with a uh, <laughs> You know, writing job. At times, I've been deluded and thinking I could probably write the next best American novel. You know what I mean? The next bestseller. (laughs) But I I never, I never will. I always think about writing fiction, but I'm not very good at it. Okay. I have like a a document at home where I've written down like a bunch of details and observations about like characters and like moments and like little specific kind of things that I want to flesh out at some point, but I never will because it's it's a lot of work and <laughs> I, I don't have the patience for it. And I'm not good enough
1: to write it. But Give yourself enough time and you definitely do have the, uh, the ability to do it. I think it wouldn't be about,
2: like, games or wouldn't be, like, a big story or anything. I used mm. to be obsessed with the idea of um, pre-drinks and house parties because... When I was younger, so much of my, like, development as a kid into an adult came Again, from- Again, Josh Brown in his late 20s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> came from <him. laughs> house parties It yes. came from, like, pre-drinks. And I remember so much drama between friends and so much, quote-unquote, character development, for lack of a better mm. term, happened in those kind of, like, between spaces before nights out. And I always have a real fondness for that because so much of my socializing came from that part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, since I was like, I was too young at like 15 into my 20s. And I always thought it'd be interesting to chart someone's life in those spaces and only catch up to them when those characters might catch up to each other if they're like drinking buddies or whatever and catch up between mm. uh, pre-drink sessions or house party sessions and you're, you fill in the blanks
1: between them. I don't know.
2: I thought that was- No, I love
1: that. I think I always preferred the pre-drink to the, the night out itself yeah. because you, you you have the best times with your friends when you're pre-drinking because you can actually have conversations. You put some favorite songs on that you have. Exactly. And like there's way more um, hashtag banter to those moments, those few hours or whatever before you head out. Everyone gets absolutely blitz drunk and you can't talk to each other when the music's too loud. No. So that's like that stage of the night out. There's also, I think, there's a lot of romance to the pre-drink stuff because maybe there's someone there that you actually want to get a bit closer to or something. Yeah. And it's like, are they feeling the same way? Okay, they're going to be there for like 20 minutes and they've got to go somewhere else. Let me try and talk to them for a little bit. That's it. Have you ever had like the disappointment,
2: especially when you get a little bit older, mm. of someone you haven't seen in a long time and you've invited them on the night out and it might be the first night out you've had in a while mm. and they might arrive late to the pre-drinks and you're just kind of a little bit gutted because <laughs> you know your time with them is being cut short and you're only going to get a few hours now before like we I about, this. Yeah, no uh, Yeah, and it's like, oh, we won't get this chance again for a while. There's something magic about that that I quite like. I totally. do have another one that's way more funnier, I think, okay. in my opinion, because I, <laughs> I've joked about this with Adam Nicholas, right? Because me and him are big Walking Dead fans, you right? Are the two I,
1: remaining Walking Dead fans. I
2: don't even think the show's that good. Like, it right. has really good periods, but I'm endlessly fascinated with it, and I want to write a non-fiction book about the entire development mm. of The Walking Dead, because that show is amazing to me because it's one of the only big shows around that like was sabotaged at every single stage <laughs> by the people who made it you yep. know like the it's it's network amc just seemed to be meddling in that show all the way throughout its uh run mm-hmm. and i'm fascinated by the idea of this thing that had so much potential being kind of squandered from a storytelling perspective, and like what happened with cast disputes, what happened with the original showrunner? How is this show the way it is ultimately? I think there's a good story there, but uh, that's that's the one where I genuinely am joking about it. But I'm like, I would like to do that one you day. You sure I, I, mean, I could I've got so much stupid knowledge about that show <laughs> and what's going on behind the scenes in my head that? Well, I remember I like all
1: with with The Walking Dead back when I was a fan. The first sort of four seasons I was watching, and then the season two was like that first major blow to like this doesn't feel right. And then reading about the writers and how everything got delayed and that's like less of like a, a straight up like production issue that could have been solved like faster yeah. um, but I remember that sort of being something where it was like oh this isn't as tightly knit as I thought it was and then season two being ostensibly just like a waiting game until things kind of resumed in three and then now we're like in what season 25 or something? well it was like a bunch of spin-offs yeah I just yeah, think yeah. it's like
2: it's kind of like a microcosm of how like the world works as a whole mm. and how all creative mediums aren't don't, aren't run the way you think it is like no. AMC has a huge hit with The Walking Dead season one. Mm -hmm. And you would think naturally that means amazing. We wanna sustain this as much as possible. We wanna support the creators, but instead they're thinking, well, we've got this huge hit what if we slashed the budget more or less in half (laughs) doubled the episodes and made more profit and the Mm -hmm. writers have to deal with it that kind of like capitalistic sense of we don't care about the show we just know it's a hit and how do we extract as much money from it as possible Literally, I think that's like reflective of wider industry and I just think it's a good example of that stuff
1: I feel like um, if a sort of like that capitalistic mindset could have a plate in front of them a full plate and smash it and sell you 10 separate plates but it's just the shards (laughs) but no it's still a plate and it's like well no it's not because it's not full I can't use it it. it's not satisfying to use Um, and then they would just class it as the same thing. And um, what would be your video game topic if you did a, a video game uh, book topic thing? Oh, I don't know, man. Like, the the video
2: game thing is hard because mm. unlike the other kind of spaces that I've talked about, I don't, like, I already know so many mm-hmm. great video game writers of video game, video essayists that I, I think it would be harder to kind of get a little, a, a, little, a little sort of, like, niche within that. I'd like to do something about licensed games and just how... Some of those were put together. Like, I'd like to go behind the scenes of how Beanox's Spider-Man games were put into production and how little time they had, kind mm. of similar to the Walking Dead thing, I suppose. How the Sopranos Road to Respect game was made.
1: <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that... He finds a way. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he finds a way to, finds put it away
2: in. to talk about it. Stuff like that, where mm. I think, you know, these are games that were kind of farted out by their publisher and didn't get much respect and then were kind of forgotten about mm. by a lot of fans or at least the mainstream kind of like press in terms of talking about them and their development and stuff. You know, no one's talking about the creation of the amazing Spider-Man video game tie-in as they are about the creation of God of War Ragnarok. And it's like, I bet that story is a little bit more interesting. Uh, yeah. Some weird stuff went down.
1: It's definitely why I love. Uh, I think I feel like I shot them out every other week, but there's a channel called Matt McMuscles. Um, used to be one of the two best friends play, um, well, best friends play, um, who does a series called What Happened About Games Like That that are almost like forgotten to history kind of thing. Um, and yeah, like I, I think that there's a a whole wing of gaming coverage that should be devoted to that stuff, the legacy stuff, because back then it was it was way less exposure to the way games were made. The techniques were way more interesting. Um, at the minute, I'm still watching through that Double Fine uh, Psycho audit see the making of Psychonauts 2 and things like that where they talk about like you know having to figure out ways to code the physics how to code the jump how to code parts of the world geometry and I remember that whole thing I think it's in Fallout 3 when someone hacked the game's code on PC and realized that the trains are just people yeah just just people (laughs) with train heads and they run around on tracks but obviously to the player you can't see it and I love that stuff I love that whole how did they make this work and I feel like um like that whole thing about gaming history there was like an era of like the the rock star auteur dev like the Hideo, Hideo Kojima's the um uh, the dude that did Die katana who's uh, John Romero. John Romero. There are all those dudes and that idea of like circling around, okay, this guy, this guy knows everything. This guy's going to lead us and they're following them almost to their doom in almost every respect. I think that's like a fascinating thing. There's a great book out there that any TV fan should
2: read called Difficult Men and mm. it's about like the... Asshole showrunners of <laughs> great shows like uh, you know, like The Sopranos or The Wire or The Shield or whatever. Mm. And it essentially goes into like the writers' room, the production of those shows, mm. and how like these 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 dudes were essentially held up by the networks as like these geniuses who can't be touched. But then that led to like their absolutely temperamental attitudes, oftentimes incredibly problematic attitudes in the, in like the the writers' rooms and stuff. And it's just kind of fascinating to me how like these big productions. Mm. I essentially run sometimes by just like the most chaotic people, like the oh, yeah. most nightmare people. Like that Fantastic
1: Four thing that just imploded.
2: Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. And it's like that; those kind of stories are always uh, fascinating to me. Yeah.
1: No, I love the double-edged sword of the, the creative mind. Like the idea that you do need something that makes you stand out. And that is the thing that we're going to tap back into. But is there ways to refine that and, and make it into, like, you know, can you sort of like focus that vision and, and actually make it, translate it to a whole team so they can put something together? Yeah. But does that remove what the creative vision would have been? Because then it's not entirely yours. That whole phrase about... Um, uh, like a, a camel is a horse put together by committee or designed by committee mm-hmm. like you set out to make a horse and you ended up with a camel so like look at these different things that changed over time Um, next question from Jack Jingle who says most satisfying game noise or sound I'm partial to the swish sound when you use <laughs> a jump on or off a ladder in Final Fantasy 7 or the event <laughs> cleared music from Oh, those are such deep cuts I know what that Final Fantasy 7 ladder noise is I know what the Final Fantasy 7 ladder is yes. I don't know what Tombi is Oh my God. To- okay. Tommy's something I've not played in about 25 years, nice. uh, but that was on the PS one. That was like at the time, it's just a platformer, side-scrolling platformer. Um, but it had this really cool character called Tommy with like big pink hair. And you were like a little cave lad, cave, caveman, child, yeah. cave man, child, cave child. And um, you were running around jumping on pigs and it just looked gorgeous for the time. It was like the style of animation. Um, a little bit like Donkey Kong Country. Everything was kind of like rounded and 3D. And I felt like for 1998 or whatever it was, it was like, nothing's ever looked this good. Um, so that was what Tommy was. Um, Tom, bar i think in different countries and we had it as tombi or one of the two mm. um i don't remember the event cleared music i think for satisfying game noises um i like for like final fantasy is an absolute gold mine for them i love all the little clinks that you get when you pick up coins Um, there's a lot like the gill noise when you're um, when your XP's ticking up nice. i love specifically speaking of coin noises Go on. when your xp oh sorry when your level score maxes out at the end of a sonic level. And it does like, it goes like, and it's like, it just like banks it. It's like, whatever I just got, I just banked it. And I just, I I love that noise so much.
2: That's amazing, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: need to play more Sonic, I think. <laughs> I, need, I, need, I really, really
2: need you. I want these memories in my own
1: head. It's so good. I've got one
2: for you, though, that yes. I think you might agree with. I love almost all the sounds in Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2. Oh. But I particularly love... The menu sounds when right. you're either starting a game or going into the options, and mm-hmm. I love when you press L2 or R2 to get up your inventory and like scrolling through that. The little noises <laughs> that are made there, uh, I think, are amazing.
1: I've got another one. I'm playing what? through Devil May Cry at the minute because I'm, I'm oh. having the Lincoln Park phase oh. after oh. their uh, their single came out a couple of weeks ago. That the the, the un, unreleased lost song made me go back and listen to all of Lincoln Park, which I haven't done in a long time. Um, and I used to play uh, Devil May Cry one with Hybrid Theory in the background, so I started doing that again. Nice. Um, Devil May Cry has all sorts of great noises that don't make any sense where you're just in the menu and it just goes like and it's just like you'll go in and out (laughs) of different menus (laughs) and it's just I don't know what that is Um, and sometimes it's like a clang and then sometimes it's a hong and I just I I can't get enough of that so I don't know (laughs) Yeah, there's like, yeah, loads of those weird little noises. Onimusha had quite a few of them as well. Kind of that era Capcom would put a lot of character into their menus. Yeah. And I think they were going for like a whole gothic architecture thing, especially in DMC3. There's a lot of just whispering happening in the menus. Yeah. Um And so there's that. But it's uh, menu noises seem to be our thing. Menu noises...
2: Always incredible. Mm. A good menu, man, goes a long way, I think. You can (laughs) tell a good game by a good menu, as Mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. I want to throw in one more. The Call of Duty hit marker noise when you're playing multiplayer, and you get a hit on an enemy, and you kind of get a little bit of feedback. Genuinely, I think that tiny bit of feedback is what separates Call of Duty's gunplay from a lot of competitors. It just feels so satisfying to get a hit, and then when you get, like, the actual noise of killing an enemy... Like It just r- gives you that kind of like Pavlovian response in your brain <laughs> that you're doing something good. Just that kind of like small tweak. Yeah. A lot of games kind of copied Call of Duty and started putting hit markers when you started getting like, you know, hits on your enemies. But that wasn't enough. You needed the sound. You needed a little bit of vibration. It's that
1: weird little, it's almost like a like a stack of papers being shuffled. Like a little yeah. sort of like, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's like that noise is because I remember noticing that because um, it's in like you said Pavlovian responses um, in Overwatch like obviously they had that in 2016 yeah. where you pop it, it as a little red skull pops up and you get the little flip 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 noise as well yeah. and just being like this just feels great to, 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 to <laughs> shoot the, the things in this game um, as opposed to everything previous was just, uh, just a cursor that you were hovering over people yes. but like yeah the more feedback you can do in the center of the screen I feel like there's something there um, that you can do a lot more with um, question from Schmantz Schmiljamsson who says is HBO's The Last of Us over rated. I think it sticks out because most stories in entertainment are bad or poorly executed. It's definitely good, but I'd be more impressed if they could coherently adapt Kingdom Hearts or something. (laughs) Nine episodes is too short, and there's not enough Joel slash Ellie. It's just adventuring.
2: Nine episodes is too short, I think. I think uh, a lot of us video game fans... Finally realizing what it's like to have one of your favorite books adapted. I saw this mm. comparison maybe on the Reddit or maybe someone else said it. Uh, so it's not an original thought, like mm. very few of my thoughts, to be honest.
1: He's too harsh on himself. He's
2: <laughs> too, too harsh on himself over there. But I think it's very apt because, you know, you, you adapt a book, like yeah. The Lord of the Rings, for instance. And if you're a huge fan of those books, you get to spend way more time with those characters and see their inner workings more than you do in a television show or especially a movie. And I think that's what we're experiencing with The Last of oh, Us. Totally. You know? The Last yeah. of Us is characters, and the relationship between Ellie and Joel is, is so defined by the kind of moment to moment gameplay where a lot of story isn't happening, where mm-hmm. you're just kind of searching around, you're kind of having sometimes optional conversations, you're just getting familiar with their presence in a show with only nine episodes. You can't replicate that. Mm-hmm. So it feels fast. Mm-hmm. It feels like the pace is up. And I think, even if, I think. The show itself has issues with that. I think even if you haven't played the game, you might still think it's a little bit fast, but... I think it's a similar thing to a book adaptation where you're so used to spending so much time with the characters that anything less feels like they're just absolutely ripping through it with pace. I
1: would totally back that. I think, yeah, the change in medium does mean like a a real crunch of of length of time, just like literal exposure of character writing um, where they have to kind of pick and choose specific scenes to get across. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty vocal about like, I really hated the first episode. I've not been a fan of most of it. I love uh, the Bill and Frank episode and the Ellie Riley episodes. They Mm -hmm. both had me in absolute bits and it made me realize (laughs) that I would have, loved if they just didn't do the Jewel Ellie story at all um, and I know that obviously um, Ellie Riley is directly from the left behind but I just feel like that was just nicely fleshed out and acted so beautifully. Um, I love Bella Ramsey's performance in that whole thing Her, every little facial animation. We were talking before about the, the pre-drink romance yeah. um, she got that sort of like teenage like, does that, that person like me? I'm not sure yeah. the, the, the unsureness of it was just beautifully done. Um, but yeah overall I've not really enjoyed the season but I am super vocal about the fact that I am just one of those precious a-holes when it comes to the original Original source material, I just think that is just so vastly superior that nothing was ever going to come close to it, um, for the most part, so it's only really been a handful of scenes that I've liked, but I, when I watch most episodes, I do find that I'm like, okay, that was a bit better, oh my god, I hate that, okay, yeah. that was better, okay, that was rushed, that sucks um, so for me, it's no end, yeah, I, I guess I would say it's overrated personally, but like, I get why it's rated highly, Yeah. Um, I get why people like it, I just personally, it's hardly any of it is for me.
2: Yeah, I, I totally get why people might not like it or think Mm. it's, like, too slow or it doesn't have, like, not exactly what they wanted or, Mm. you know, it's not quite living up to the incredible hype that I got before. Like, for me, it's it's a great show. It's not one of my favorite shows, mm. you know what I mean? I, I love the show, and I I, it's, I think more or less ep- every episode is pretty much flawless, but it's, I agree that it's not as good as the source material. The source material mm. is a little bit better. Though the other show has made some changes that are, is better than the they're source all, material. Yeah, there are bits and pieces that are cool. Is a, is a holistic thing. It's just, for me, it's just, it is a really good show. Mm-hmm. Whether it's going to end up in my top personal top ten list of all time. I don't know. I don't think it's as good as something as, you know, Better Call Saul or... Well, that's the thing, right? Bad Men or, like, The Americans or something like that. But it's still, that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's even, like not living up to its potential because it's still getting most things right.
1: No, totally. I think we're talking about like gradients of like a yeah. four and a half to five star mark and what totally. differentiates those two things. That's the thing for me, like the amount of praise that it's getting, I do think is kind of crazy considering what's really there. Like, yeah, it's not to make it about the show, but like for me, if those are the comparisons, the Better Call Souls, for me, Severance is one of my favorite shows I've ever seen that came out last year. Um, those are just like so beautifully made and paced and like they're so purposeful and they have so much to say. And like, it's just... I'm not getting any of that from The Last <laughs> of Us and that might just be because I literally cannot divorce the source material um, but I guess it's one of those things where I think the story just didn't have as much doesn't have as much to it in the TV version but this is a conversation for the rest of time it because there will always be uh, my side and there will always be your side it's a
2: bit difficult for me to kind of contextualize it as well because I never watch shows week to week certainly mm. not from when they start I like a show to have an ending and I like this view it about your rule yeah I like yeah. to view it like holistically as like a full package because you know I, I, I don't think I ever watched a first season of a show, any show, and gone, that's one of my favorite shows of all time. Right. I watched Better Call Saul season one, I wouldn't be saying that's, that's in my true. top 10, in my top five. Same with the Americans, same with Mad Men, or whatever. I'd be mm. saying those are really good shows, but I kind of need to wait until this... I need to keep reminding myself that I need to wait until this one is complete before I can make those decisions, because okay. it's just not how I personally operate. Some of the people might be different, but for me personally, it's just... I've, I've always waited until something's finished before I can decide, okay, now I can see it in totality and this mm. is what I think as a whole. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: You're definitely right that a lot of shows do build. I think things like Breaking Bad, like its season one, was always, was always brilliant. Like uh, Severance, I'd still point out to Severance that only has one season, but I feel like it's so confident the whole way through. Succession is like really solid as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting that, uh, the general conversation. Last of Us, like, just to be completely honest about it, we've like did we did a whole bunch of episode by episode reviews, and the views just weren't there for it. Like, it's such a massive show, and you, we, we read, you see headlines about how much it's breaking all these numbers, but I don't really feel like that like there is that much conversation around it happening. It's kind of just there. It's almost like a Minecraft or a Fortnite, like. You're fully aware that it's there. It's almost bigger than any one coverage outlet can do. Um, and maybe the more uh, TV based websites are doing their fan theories and stuff. I know that they are out there, but the, the general sort of like conversation around it when you compare it to a, a Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, like an HBO show, um, maybe it's an algorithmic presentation of data thing. Yeah. But I feel like that general depth isn't there for the, for the coverage.
2: That is hilarious. This is ah. what makes me think it's an algorithmic thing perhaps Could be. because this is the most I've seen anyone talk about a show since Game <laughs> of Thrones which is amazing I've seen more people talk about this than like House of the Dragon but that might be just right. like the circles that I'm clued into like it's the first time in forever mm. literally since like The Walking Dead season 5 probably or maybe the final season of Game of Thrones where I've not been able to look at social media because I know I'm <laughs> going to get a spoiler in that I don't get anything happened. well this is it right like it's probably because I'm just clicking this stuff so it's show me this stuff but I Either think we, ways, just, we just live in algorithmic bubbles these days we kind of do I God, feel like you can um, never tell objectively I don't think
1: well that's the thing I think with this like obviously when the, when an episode's out there'll be occasional so there's a lot of Pedro Pascal love I see a lot mm. of him doing the rounds um, but yeah I feel like overall it, it is interesting just the sheer heights the show's been able to hit the critical response it's getting the audience viewer numbers are unbelievable like it is breaking records in terms of it gained like two more million viewers or something between episodes which apparently is really rare for a whole season usually they drop off as the season goes on um, so all that stuff is just super commendable but I just uh, yeah for me, I because I personally don't love it that I'm just like I'm not seeing that stuff whatever parts of my phone are listening to my everyday speech are not saving (laughs) me things up Um, so there is that but we'll see how the rest of the season plays out I thought the Riley Ellie episode made the rest of it way better so there is that holistic view feel to it as well and I guess we'll see what happens in the next two Um, question from PG Quips who says what are your Oscar predictions this year I think everything everywhere all at once deserves best film how can anyone possibly challenge hot dog fingers also how (laughs) how does the big light now feel does it feel oppressive (laughs) (laughs) We're we're, we're burying the big light discourse. I have buried the big light myself. I bought a bunch of ambient lights. I no longer game or watch TV or watch anything with a big light on. Big Light is is dead to me. Praise the Lord. We are (laughs) uh, holding
2: a ceremony for the Big Light next week. All of you are invited to come and pay your respects to the Big Light. The Light in My Life is
1: a purple bar and it goes behind my TV and that's it.
2: The biggest irony, I think, of this entire Big Light chat is that when I got my PSVR, the the first thing it said was, turn on your Big Lights because (laughs) this thing needs a light to, you know, actually function. And I thought, I can't believe I've been swindled by the thing that I was looking forward to the most into indulging in the big light lifestyle but yeah let's bury it it's no no more ambient
1: light for the win scott Tilford has seen the light. (laughs) He's seen the rotating app based smart bulb light, (laughs) uh, which lets him have a different color for whatever he's watching. But um, I've not seen, I'm not, I'd I'd be completely honest, I have dropped the F off films. Right. I just, I don't, (laughs) it sounds so stupid when I kept up with film for so long. Um, And I'm overall a huge fan of the medium and can have all these conversations about film and grew up watching films, everything, everything, everything over the years, yeah. but very recently nothing is making me care about film. I was looking forward to The Whale and then when it finally released I was like, I can't be bothered to have a full day in work and then go see a movie, <laughs> so I just haven't done it and I don't know if that is, is, is per film but I also made a big, I looked at the release calendar for the rest of the year and I, I drew up a big list of everything that was remotely on my radar yeah. and it's just it's just old sequels and stuff that I know what it's going to be right. and it just has that core thing of me going like, well that doesn't excite me, that doesn't excite me, I don't care about marvel anymore i you know i'm checked out of all the the big business stuff yeah and it's like well creed 3's out and i'm like well i love michael b jordan i want to see that because it's his first um directing it's his first directing role and i love um i want to see what jonathan majors can do but that's kind of it like mm. I'm, I'm just films as a thing i'm so checked out Not for you anymore that's kinda, which I, it's sad because i yeah. do love them and i want to love them more and i need to put more effort into seeking out indies and stuff it's not like i'm not watching anything yeah Um, but they're just so few and far between at the minute.
2: I need to, I'm trying my best because the pandemic kind of like killed my interest in movies dead for whatever reason. I used to watch hundreds of films a year Mm. and then suddenly in the pandemic, because I wasn't going to the cinema perhaps, I was just like not seeing That's definitely much. my thing, the
1: pandemic stopped me going to the cinema and yeah. I just, for whatever reason, I just I dropped off Letterbox. I'm not updating that, like I'm not keeping up with movies, I'm just not doing it. I,
2: me too man, mm. and I'm, I'm trying to make a concerted effort because there's, it's not that there's not stuff coming out that I want to see, there's actually too much coming out that I want to see <laughs> and it's, it's frustrating because there are so many movies out and I'm like, I should go and see that, and you get home after work and you're a little bit too tired and you think, oh maybe next week and the mm. movie's not showing anymore and then something else is coming out and you think, maybe I should see that after work and then you're too tired and yeah. then you don't go to see it. That said, though, I think it's an incredible year for the Old Academy Awards. Okay. I love... I've seen almost all of the Best Picture nominees with the exception of Avatar The Way of Water. Can you reel off, off the
1: current Best Picture nomination? I certainly can, Scott I'm Tilford.
2: Uh, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, I'm Avatar The Way of Water, I'm The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was said yep. in the tweet, uh, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women talking.
1: Oh, I I really, the thing, I'll tell you another thing. One of the reasons that it puts me, that I'm just in this weird space where I feel like I can't even access the films I want to see. I feel like because of the weird staggered release dates, you see something coming out. Women Talking, I've wanted to see for what, like three months? Right. Like I'm sure that was was out in America last year. Yes. And then we've just been waiting for it over here. And it's like, okay, where is it? How do I see this? And then sometimes things will just appear on Disney Plus because Disney Plus in the UK do various deals with like HBO or whatever and just dump stuff on there. Yeah. And different Fox movies and stuff. And Smile was just randomly on Disney Plus never associate that with a Disney thing whatsoever yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that throws me off I don't know where to go to watch the films anymore I think I that's part that. of it um, but yeah part of that I did not know Top Gun Maverick was up for best picture
2: yeah man that's hilarious like that and Avatar are like obviously huge commercial successes from mm. last year that have been kind of honoured here I think it's a really good lineup for mm-hmm. me I do I kind of do see everything everywhere all at once winning. I hope so I don't hope so. What? Why? I just think there's so many other better movies. So many other better. That's not really a good phrase. Better movies on that list right. than, than that. For me, I want to see Banshee's of Inisherin. Sharon wind I, I love that. <sighs> Seen that movie twice. I think it's great. Okay.
1: Uh, and the... I think I've only seen three of them. I've seen everything, everywhere, Top Gun Maverick, and uh, Banshees of an Issue, and I haven't seen. I really want to see Tar, but I haven't seen that yet. Nice, nice. And uh, you
2: know, I just want to shout out one more yes. uh, before we go because uh, Paul Mescal for After Sun mm-hmm. is up for oh. Best Actor, and After Sun is like one of my favorite, my favorite movie of, like the last decade.
1: I still need to see that. And I don't think you'll win, but I want him to win. You know what I mean? I the think- praise that you and Nicholas had when you guys uh, after you, the day after you'd seen it or something, I was like, I need to immediately see this. Yeah. And I think it was on uh, one of the cinemas near us, but I was like, it sounds really sad. It's very Sad. And I can't. Do, I can't. I find it really hard to volunteer for a sad thing yeah. now. I used to do it a lot more before the pandemic, but I, just, I don't know. In the current space, I just I'm not like spending my evening volunteering for sadness. I find I'm, I'll just go. I'll go watch some anime or right. something. Where someone will fly through the the sky with some powers. I'll do that instead. Um But I do want to see After Sun. I feel like that's a, a general and a really good recommendation based on the uh, reception so far. I wish that was up for
2: Best Picture. That would get mm. my. Uh, uh, Vote 100%. But you like everything everywhere all at once. i to talk about that merits because you liked it more than me and you seem to be in line with the tweet. Yes. So. Would, I, you, for me think, that would was, you like to see it win, sorry?
1: I would. I uh, Like I said, I'm not invested whatsoever in it. I think it'd be hilarious if Top Gun Maverick Maverick uh, wins. I feel like all the best picture stuff over the years, it's it's such a nebulous thing to drill down because didn't The Revenant eventually win it? Or the, uh, or DiCaprio won Best Actor? He did for The Revenant. For The yeah. Revenant because he ate some steak that was raw <laughs> and whatever. Like, it's just like that idea of, like, okay, what makes it the best performance? What makes it the best uh, picture? And uh, is that like an overall ambitious like, scale thing? Because I do think Daniels are like an incredible um, directorial comic. I think there's two of them yeah yes um, for Everything Everywhere and I think the amount of stuff they achieved with that that for me was what Multiverse of Madness should have been mm. um, like by by far uh, and just the sheer inventiveness of, of what they did I kind of wanted a little bit more maybe do some more animated universes or something but when they have a, a universe that is just a couple of rocks with googly eyes talking to each other and it all just fades yeah. away to just text on the screen um, yeah there's a lot of stuff that I loved in that movie and I think that it's it has a beautiful like heart to it as well it does have a message it does have something to take away um, and realize like the the different ways that you chart your own life and yeah. like the, how do you find satisfaction and I think there's just it has a lot of heart to it. And, yeah, um, it did. I, I think it's it's almost impossible to have something with that much heart be in a movie of that much scale. Yes. when there's so much wacky hot dog finger BS stuff going on, um, you can still bring it back down to those to the person and make it about that person. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that movie was beautiful, but I don't have the I don't have the wider pool. Like I Banshees of what I thought was cool, but I thought it way outstanding it's welcome really God, yeah ah. by about like a 45 minutes or something <laughs> <laughs> i was like i get this you've made your point oh it's just the same point again okay cool to me that was kind of everything <laughs> everywhere to be honest Hopefully that it. was another one where
2: I, I you know i'm it sounds like a crap everything everywhere I, I thought it was a really good movie like a really nice crowd pleaser made me emotional towards mm. the end it was just it was a film where the wackiest stuff didn't do it for me which is a shame because I've liked mm. other stuff that the Daniels have done mm-hmm. um just like the first half where we're talking about like we're getting into like the the world building and the the, the sci-fi the of rules. it the rules that stuff paled in comparison to the latter half where it was more emotionally right. driven it was just I wasn't I genuinely wasn't interested in the first half mm. and then it pulled me around for the second half I just think it's a it's an ambitious movie and it should be applauded and um, it just didn't quite come together for me mm. in a way that it seems to have for like so many other people and yeah. I, I still I wouldn't wouldn't hate that it if it won it's not like an undeserving winner I don't think there's just for me personally other movies on that list that I liked a little bit more and hit me a little bit more
1: I do think for like a best picture category what I was trying to get at before is like there's almost an assumed level of like weight or narrative mm. depth, or like there's just a certain feel to a movie that gets gets best picture. And I maybe don't have as much of a working knowledge of the like of all of the best picture nominees and of the last like 20 odd years to say, like, okay, well, that actually won it and that was like more zany or whatever. But I feel like something like Tar or Banshees of Inishirin has the pacing to it that feels more like a best picture candidate. Even yeah. something like Aftersun, from what I've seen of it, would feel more like a best picture candidate. Um, and so it'd be a miracle if something like Top Gun Maverick doesn't feel like it could get best picture. Um, Probably but, not, no, but
2: yeah it's 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 cool to see it there. It's kind of like when um, Mad Max Fury Road was uh, yeah. in the nomination list, and you just got like a really good weighty blockbuster with mm. like a, a big story heft and doing something that's doing something ambitious. Mm. And it's it's cool to see them there, like, it's cool to see the Avatar there, I haven't even seen mm. it, but I like that that's, like, in the list I think it's quite nice.
1: I was with an entire room of people at a wedding recently, and I asked if anyone had seen Avatar, and one person had. Right. So I finally found one person who's seen Avatar, I still maintain that no one's seen Avatar, <laughs> but it's just like, I don't know anyone who's seen Wave Water apart from this one random person um, but still, I, uh, You've yeah seen I have two I, I, billion I times. <laughs> Probably, yeah trying to, try to make up all the shortfall, I need to um, catch up with that film, but I just don't care does anyone no. care? Avatar? I don't think so. Question from Jack Asbury, who says, what's your most biased opinion on the Activision acquisition. Oh, (laughs) Oh. this is
2: where I show myself as a fraud and a hypocrite, I think. My most buy... Oh, okay. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. On on an intellectual level, I know the acquisition is bad. I don't want, in theory, monopolies to exist. Okay. And for some one company to hold so much power. I don't like that Disney bought Fox. And the fact that Microsoft is buying Activision alongside all these other studios Mm. scares me because I don't want it to become homogenized in such a way that there's no competition because when someone doesn't have any competition, they have no incentive to try. And you'll get over that period where it's exciting Mm. and when they are trying to push the button to the point where they become complacent because they have no one really vying for their crown. Mm. And then they just start serving you a load of duff, Mm. kind of like how Disney is right now with (laughs) a bunch of their (laughs) movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. That said it's Activision, and Activision sucks, True. In you hope, and I don't want Activision to even continue as they are right now, mm. because that company is a trash fire, creatively and seemingly behind <laughs> the scenes if the report is to be believed, mm. so it's a case of, if my most biased opinion is, Microsoft is Probably going to do good things to that company, at least in the short term, or you would mm. hope and could ultimately salvage it in a way. That's where my kind of hypocritical two takes right, kind right. of like come out because if there is a company that needs saving, it's Activision followed by like Ubisoft. Ubisoft yeah. like, those <laughs> ships need writing, and it would be better for the entire gaming industry and presumably the people working for those companies if those ships were steered right. It's mm. just, it sucks that to get that kind of, uh, Correctedness, mm. you need to kind of
1: <laughs> indulge in a monopolistic way of viewing the world. Just, yeah, my completely biased take is that I just, I've been nothing but disappointed by Xbox for 10 years now. Right. Um, I think that it was such an alarm bell when Halo Infinite was two months from launch and then they showed it off and it was completely broken and then it was delayed a year. Where I was just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I don't, like the whole thing with Phil Spencer, like, as much as I, I, I guess that whole thing, oh, I believe in Phil Spencer and he's almost become a bit of a meme and like, cause he's really, he seems like a cool dude. Like, the guy sits down, does lots of really good personable interviews, dude plays a lot of games, seems to know his stuff. But now all the stuff, his, the, recently his comments on exclusivity are either he lied in the first place or he's changed his opinion very severely. Um, going from saying that exclusives are bad for the industry to then saying exclusives are part of the industry. Yeah. And it's like, well, which one is it? Which one are you doing? Does that depend on what your business deal is of the of the given month? I think that stuff's really annoying. And I think coming up as a 360 fan and then looking at where Xbox are now, and I just I just find it so boring. Like, can they just make a game? Like, mm. how hard is it? Like, we got Hi-Fi Rush, which was already in production before. Tango Gameworks got bought out. So they kind of laid claim to that. And obviously we ended up covering it as like, oh, Xbox did right by shadow dropping it and whatever, which they did. They helped facilitate the uh, launch of it. But where are the, literally where are the games? Where are the games? What are you, what, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I can't believe that it's so many years in that we wasted an entire Xbox one generation. And now we're into the next thing, but we have one of the most powerful systems on the market, if not the most powerful system. And one, you can't make games for it. Cause you have to make them for the series S as well. And two, what games are even coming? There was a recent report, uh, sorry, a recent, um, it was a podcast where uh, Andy Robinson from video game Chronicle was talking about the games that are coming soon. And it's like Starfield and avowed, but fable only just went into full production. Perfect dark is in like quadruple a development hell. Um, And uh, the next game from Rare is, like, years away. I'm like, how? How are you getting this so wrong? And so, like, for me to fall back on, like, well, we just have a lot of money, so I guess we'll just buy our first-party slate. I hate that. I really hate that. Like, I just think that's so soulless, like, and you used to (laughs) not used to stand for anything, but like, Xbox 360 used to have pillars like, used to have Gears of War and Fable and like, Halo used to be in a much better state and I just hate that the reality of where Xbox is now is, we've got some money, we're kind of like a trust fund kid and we'll just buy stuff and that's what we do, and then we'll sort of just pretend that these are our first party games, when they never were.
2: I think they've got a lot of goodwill, from me, uh, personally, uh, in buying studios that kind of felt like they were, quote unquote, in need when they Mm. bought Obsidian for instance, I love Obsidian Games, but we've talked so many times about how that studio was treated poorly by That's publishers in yep. the past, you know what I mean? Given insane turnarounds for projects like Knights of the Old Republic 2 and Fallout New Vegas, not appreciated as they should be. Mm. So when they buy a studio like that, you think, finally, they'll be appreciated. They'll have the resources that they need to make good games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same with Activision. It's like, you know, oh, finally, someone can hopefully write the Activision ship, make more use of their IP, make the working conditions better, hopefully try to salvage whatever the hell's going on with Blizzard and their absolute nightmare of an entire decade. Mm. But it's all in theory. It's yeah, all just yeah. kind of like on paper, this could be a good thing. But like you were saying there, in reality, we've kind of not even seen how Microsoft is, are they treating these teams any better? Like, is are they creatively supported? We haven't seen any games that kind of signify that yet because mm. they're all in this kind of weird planning stage. So... Mm. My bias thing is that it all sounds good in theory, but when I think about it and when you talk about it like that, Scott, it's Mm. like,
1: yeah, in reality, is it going to be better? We well, haven't seen the proof in the pudding yet. No, my thing is, like, if you can let 3.4 Industries, if you can let Halo fall as far as it has, If I mean, Halo is, let's just be pretty honest, it's almost dead. Mm. Like, it's not, like, it's not, an, like, it's just, it's. I know it's just got a new season of content, but who's excited for that? Who's really playing it? Most of the Halo fanbase, and I'm one of them, are playing it just to see if it's remotely better at this point. It's never, like, an actual confident, fulfilling content drop. It's just something better than the bare minimum you had before. And it's just, like, if they can let that fall so far and let 3.4.3 go so far off the rails like for so long as well, yeah. then I don't really believe they would get hands-on invested with Activision and the creative direction of Activision. I think they buy them just for the, to bolster Game Pass and just to say, look, because I just feel like it's exactly what Phil Spencer said years ago about like planning for the future and that they want to compete with Amazon and Google rather than Sony and Nintendo because they're just planning for the Xbox app to be on every TV next yeah. to a Netflix or whatever. They just want your know, Xbox streaming to be everywhere. And that's a viable business plan, but I find nothing more boring than a games company that doesn't make games. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I just I just look at that going like okay sure like you moved some chess pieces around and you made some money for your grandkids apparently like I it's nothing to me
2: especially when that games company owns so many great game makers yeah. like when you're not seeing the product come out that's when it gets like incredibly frustrating because mm-hmm. you hope that when the product arrives it's going to be worthwhile but we've been seeing for about, what, four or five years now? <laughs> the product's coming. It's on its way. These games are <laughs> got to come out this year. And then they never do.
1: It was like Fable, was the reboot was announced. I think it was two years ago. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing at all. Just a logo. And then now it's in full production. Perfect Dark, a quadruple-A <laughs> game, is it? And that sounds like it's going really well. Just, yeah, I just, it's just annoying. And I think if you don't have the comparison for how firing on all cylinders they were in the 2000s. And the thing is, Xbox themselves have put out that. There's a really good, I can't even think of the name of it now, but it's on their main Xbox channel. The history of the last 20 years of Xbox. That's a really good deep dive into their own history. And they don't shy away from the mistakes they made in the Xbox One period. But if you look at the staff that were around at the beginning, um, and you look at the way that everything charted over time, and the, the, just the difference in what they prioritize, and it makes sense to try and bulk out Game Pass and bulk out streaming. It is the to some degree the future of gaming. Obviously, we're still in flux with that. But... Like, it's just, a, it's just a different approach to gaming. And, and we wouldn't have the modern industry without things like Xbox Live, um, you know, if they didn't push for those. So they are pushing for worthwhile things. But they used to be able to do that with the games as well. Yeah. And I just, like, a, a giant business decision going through that doesn't really do anything. It's not like, like, oh my God, we've got this great idea that we can only, like, put together if we combine the talents of 343 with some dude from Activision. Like, we're not doing that. We're just talking about putting titles on Game Pass. Like, yeah. that's kind of all this is. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely my my most personal bias ranty side of it is that I'm largely annoyed with Xbox and pissed at the state of it after having grown up with a way better company for the better part of 20 years.
2: It's kind of a good point, right? Because I don't think this justifies, you know, buying a company as big as Fox. But for instance, when Disney bought Fox... You still had, like, you would, at the very least, had possibilities of what that company could yeah. now do. Like, again, I'm not saying it justifies it, but at least you had the thought of, oh, that means the MCU can use the Fox characters, and right. they've in the license to the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. There was, like, a potential possibility there. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about it in this way, but like you were saying, uh, just then, you know, when Microsoft buys all of these um, studios mm-hmm. and makes these acquisitions, what possibilities are you thinking? You're thinking this might make for better games, Mm -hmm. but you're not viewing it in terms of necessarily, how can Microsoft make these games better? I think Oh no, they don't even care. No, that's it, right? I I can from an Activision point of view, perhaps by, you know, maybe they'll revitalize old IP. Maybe they'll take Call of Duty off an annualized process. But you know, something like The Outer Worlds 2, you know, it's kind of like, would Obsidian have made that anyway? And how much Mm. benefit is Microsoft even getting From that, how much are they adding to it? Because, like you said, there in the case of three four three, or in the case of what sounds like fable and perfect dark, Mm -hmm. they don't even have this hands-on approach anyway. Is it just a supply of money and time that they're pumping in, Mm -hmm. which is shouldn't be taken for granted, especially in the video game world? But I'm thinking on that kind of like bigger picture sense. Like, what do you actually, what are you adding to these studios that isn't just time and money, or is just time and money? The, the the main thing that matters. Well, had. that's
1: kind of the thing. I think that they just like you know they got double fine and they were able to. I mean, Signals two was long in production at that point, but they were able to get that over the finish line with whatever help they got from Xbox at the final stages of development. Obsidian are the one best example of this so far because they got to do the dream thing of make smaller games whilst your bigger game is in production, like Pentiment, um, and you know manage uh, Grounded as well, which is obviously like a nice little fan favorite game, cult classic kind of thing at the minute. Um, and they do have bigger games like Avowed coming in the future. They are almost the template for what that whole model. could be it's just that it's it's taken almost well one like it's taken a console generation and we're into the second year of the newest systems and you still don't have anything where you can say buy a series x to play blah you don't yeah. have that game yet and yeah. i just think that maybe that's old school thinking maybe it is in the business meetings that the likes of phil spencer are in where it's just not about the games it's about the service and it's about the future and it's about building out the portfolio and um, because in 20 30 50 years time xbox is an app available on your brain chip in VR or whatever, (laughs) because that's, that's just what they're planning for. Um, and maybe as a, um, overall head of Xbox, that's what he needs to think of. He can't think small. So he's not even concerned that Halo is bombing because it's not even on his radar. He's thinking about like, what are the business deals? like that whole thing of, um, when all the stuff was happening with Bobby Kodak, uh, two years ago where he was potentially going to be ousted from the company, that was apparently when Phil Spencer put the business deal together to swoop in and snatch everybody up. The fact that that it was that fast and the fact that it was that impulsive, um, it kind of speaks to the kind of deals he wants to make, um, as opposed to swooping in and snatching a Pedro Kojima or mm. whatever when he was like a, or getting Ken Levine you know, like or snap, making sure that Judas is platform exclusive or something like that. I'm uh, just a big care of creative output, and I just don't care about business deals. Like You're unless right, they yeah. facilitate the creative output, so we'll see what comes out of it, but or rant for the in the morning on a Friday I love it I love it man <laughs> uh, next question from Jarves also massive shout out to Java Sensei one of the people who are helping put together Republic of Jungle me and Jules did a stage demo for that last year yes you um, certainly so did just to quickly mention that Um, she says oi oi, with triple A gaming seemingly taking over TV with Cyberpunk Edge Run as The Last of Us and Arcane, plus Horizon Zero Dawn and God of War shows on the way which indie title do you think would most suit a TV adaptation oh what a question I what know. a question I didn't expect that swerve to come right at the end my, uh, my mind goes immediately Immediately to Sifu. Uh, I would take yeah. a lovely Sifu martial arts show. Oh, I would take that. Oh, go
2: on. Oh. Let's make that happen now. <laughs> Get me the Sifu show
1: straight away. I'll tell you what, Every episode, super yeah. um super they hot did quickly. Super Hard quickly. They did do a uh, live action Sifu advert that is extremely well choreographed. Did they? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I think it was back when the game first came out. It's on Sony's, well, it'll be on one of the YouTube channels. If you search Sifu live action cinematic, yeah. um, there is a very good mini Sifu movie already existing.
2: Oh, I love that. I know.
1: I don't know what I would pick, to be honest. Sifu's mm. a great shout. Thank you. I'm trying to
2: think of, when I think of, you know, stuff that I want translated to, um, like, a, a television show or a movie or mm-hmm. whatever, adapted in that way, I don't think of indies because I think of indies as being so gameplay-focused yeah, yeah. that I that I think they, they work oftentimes better as, like, just a game. Mm-hmm. But I think the exception to that would be some horror titles. I would love to see, you know, Visage adapted <sighs> Uh, I would love to see Madison adapted it. I know Blumhouse Studios has said that they're going to be making more video game um, horror movies and making more horror video games based on their own properties, so I think that might be a good outlet for that. But I would probably go the horror route for this and say something
1: like Madison. Could you do a Signalis anime? Oh, yeah, you could. Or a stop-motion Vanishing of Ethan Carter? Or what's the one um, What's the when you go to that big house and it's like the whole family's been living in the house. and What Remains of Edith Finch. Yes, stop motion What Remains of Edith Finch. Make you it like c- Tim Burton style. The
2: thing is, right, you could. You, you could do it. But is the pleasure of a game like that not in the active storytelling of you as a participant and being able to play as like a a fish that rolls
1: down (laughs) or a shark or whatever it is you know a giant octopus tendril I feel like um, the What Remains of Edith Finch has so many creative ideas for that family I feel like there's so many like such a great art direction to that house and, like, the feeling of it and then the overall message by the, by the time you get to the end of it yeah. that you do need some reveals to happen, like, to the player. But I feel like that world... I'm just thinking through the lens of, like, your Corpse Brides um, or... Um, I can't think of the dude that did Secret of Kells now, but the that art style, I feel like you could kind of do a really cool animated approach. Got one for you. Do it.
2: Hollow Knight. Just oh. the same animated style and do like that that's Hollow Knight has such a rich world and like such interesting characters that you mm. come across. I think you could extrapolate that into a into a really cool animated show. I'd mm-hmm. like to say that. I probably wouldn't watch it. I'd say <laughs> I want it and then never watch it. But I like <laughs> the idea that that could exist. The thing is with Hollow Knight, he can't talk, so you'd have to do like
1: maybe five ten minute little chunks.
2: No, but Go on. in the new one, Hollow Knight Silk Song, yes. that's a character from the original mm-hmm. who, if I'm remembering correctly, did talk. So okay. you don't necessarily have to have the little Hollow Knight himself. You could have uh, you could have make make it about you could You make, like, spin-off. You Uh could, like, set it just within that world with some of the characters turning up in a new central character. Mm -hmm. Something like that, perhaps.
1: There was a joke right there about spinning silk and you saying spin-off, and I didn't take it. But I will take the next question from Stefan Moore, who says, what are your favourite photo modes in games and what game doesn't have one that you wish did? Mine is The Evil Within 2.
2: Oh, The Evil Within
1: 2, love.
2: (laughs) Yes, you'll love to see it. (laughs)
1: Scott, you're a big photosman Oh, my God, I spend more time in photo modes than games themselves. Tell me which one you like the most. A Ghost of Tsushima. I, uh... I love any it's very very rare um, that a game will let you pause go into photo mode place your camera and then have some way of advancing frame by frame whatever was about to happen after you freeze time yeah. so I love starting an animation starting a sword swing a kick or whatever you want and then just playing it out frame by frame and just drinking in that animation fidelity it's one of my favourite things in games to do um, and I love that in Ghost of Tsushima you can change all the weather effects you can just you can really have fun with um, the different filters that are in there which filters are your standard things to put in but games like even Gotham Knight um, that let you uh, change the weather, let you change like just everything about the ambiance, ambiance, ambiance of, uh, of the whole scene setup, as well as um, Gotham Mind Sally doesn't let you do the frame by frame thing, but Sushima does. And I just, I just love animation fidelity. Give me games, give me slow motion modes, give me all that <laughs> stuff. Whilst I can move the camera and take photos,
2: I'm not really a huge uh, photo mode. Fan fan, or Mm. at least I wasn't in a lot of games until Sony kind of started doing it, and there was something just about the look of their games and the implementation of their photo modes Mm -hmm. that really kind of got me in it, and Ghost of Tsushima was absolutely one of those for me, but instead of repeating that, the first (laughs) one that I really got obsessed with was um, Spider-Man 2018, Insomniac Spider-Man game, Okay, because the filters you could throw on, like the different poses, you could get Spider-Man himself. Poses
1: are a huge one too. Yep, like the
2: backdrops, you could uh, set your um, photos against, you know, like the cool comic book um, vignettes that you could put on there. As a as a big Spider-Man fan, that was kind of like a real dream come true, especially yeah. when you throw in the different costumes you could put Spider-Man himself in to mm-hmm. keep the variation up. There was something about Spider-Man's photo mode where I just thought, it made me feel like a kid again. No, dude, that.
1: honestly, Spider-Man's a great shot. Marvel's Midnight Suns, um, right up there with Sushima that has the same stuff that Spidey does, where you can make your own comic book covers, but the amount of options you have, and also you can take shots, like, in-game and then make them comic book covers, and the amount of op- they give you for putting just lots of, like, Marvel's Midnight Suns will go on to be the most overlooked Marvel game ever because it, they really cared about the Marvelness of it. And when you're making your front covers, you can pick um, the corner price icon nice. and you can pick, like, all the different publishing logos to make it look like it was, like, a first issue of something. You can add, um, like, all these different effects to it, all these different sound effects, like, blam and splat and whatever else. Um, and it just looks great. And I think that, yeah, Midnight Suns uh, took what Spidey did and just sort of did the, D, de- sorry, did the, um, the wider version of it for way more characters and stuff. Stuff. I need to play this game. Oh my god dude I almost bought the DLC. I love Midnight Suns like so much. I get why people bounce off the sort of like the, the uwu style um, I just used, I don't know what that term means but I keep hearing it as a general <laughs> cutesy term um, but that sort of approach to the way that you would do the um, the hub world stuff because it's a lot of like everyone's my friend and everything's great and let's do like, pizza parties and whatever and I think that there's a way that you can just enjoy that. I loved it. Like I think it really works um, but the combat is where it's at yeah. and the heart of that game is where it's at. The story's fun enough but the do really cool things with the character dialogue and they do really cool things with things like the photo mode where they just cared about you living in a giant X mansion style space <laughs> with all your favourite heroes and everyone loves everyone and it's just it just works I love that and Blade has a boot club yes and you can hang yes, out <laughs> doing Blade's boot club um, I want to end the podcast uh, shouting out we got sent this from you done messed up Aaron who just said there's a charity game bundle uh, raising money for the earthquake relief in Turkey and Syria over on this is written up by PC Gamer um, but it's like 69 games for about $30 so it's £25 um, so so I just wanted to shout that out. There's obviously a whole bunch of relief efforts going towards that. And the bundle includes things like XCOM two and um Mello, which is a really cool tactics game. Great I've games. read through it when I first read up um, woke up this morning and flicked through some things. Um but yeah, go check that bundle out. Um it just I guess you'll be able to find it if you search the um $30 um, Turkey Syria Relief Bundle hopefully it'll guide you in the right direction anything we can do to help that um, we will do for now though this has been the entitled Banter Podcast the UBP, the UBP, UBP the, UBP. the UBP. UBP. I've been Scott Taylor that's been Josh Brown massive thank you too Josh Brown thank you for having me on Scott I love it and I always end these podcasts <laughs> worried I've made a fool of myself but hopefully I have not he could not be in any better human in my life for <laughs> now though we'll catch you next time see you later bye, <laughs> bye.
0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.
1: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free